Hello everyone, just before we begin the podcast, we want to give a little bit of an introduction on what we talked about, who we interviewed and what everything was about. Another word, executive summary. An executive, an executive summary on the podcast. So we interviewed Luis Rodriguez and Muki Young. Luis Rodriguez is from Capricornio Coffee and Muki is from Condesa. So Luis owns, uh, Luis is one of the directors of Capricornio Coffee, which is a collective of producers in Brazil. So we basically, we took him through his journey of purchasing his first farm, planting his first trees, what he had to do, what varietals he picked, what was the soil like. We picked him apart on every question. There was so much informative information and it was a, it was a very emotional journey. Yeah, there was a lot of talk about harvesting and there was a lot of talk about processing and what happened after that and what they're trying to achieve and all this amazing um cross uh and hybrid processing method with the wine industry yep yep um yep. i think it was a great discussion and yep. uh it was a pure reflection of the beautiful lecture that he did two days yep. ago with us at crs um yeah so I, I i think there was a lot of great information out there for him yep. and and also we spoke a little bit more about Muki's experience at the farm being mm-hmm. an exporter and what sort of expectation everybody will have living there for a year is mm-hmm. very different than just visiting it for a week so so they run what do they run like an internship program yeah the farm? yeah and, yep. and uh, Muki was the lucky one and um you know and and the way the way he explained the difference between latitude altitude and what you should be looking for i think is great yeah oh, and, and apparently Muki cooks and yeah pretty cool at the end of the at the end of the uh podcast she explains how she made some sourdough bread with the water that they use to ferment the coffees so stick around for that one i know Uh, you get all the recipes yeah yeah. (laughs) what's the best fermentation what is the best fermentation (laughs) anyways now back to the show yeah well um i'll we'll leave you guys enjoying it thank you enjoy Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second, third CRS podcast. I'm here with Luis Rodriguez, Muki Young, and Noah Adra. My name is Amadeo, and today we'll be talking about Capricornia. So, Luis, why don't we start off? What is Capricornia? Uh, Hello, my friends. It's a great pleasure and honor to be here. Uh, So, Capricornia is an exportation operation of specialty coffees located in the south region of Brazil that nowadays sources coffee from six different regions, from Sao Paulo and Paraná states. Nice. Why, why did you start it, the whole thing? Uh, so I started as a coffee farmer in 2004 um, and made lots of improvements and made lots of uh, knowledge in terms of how to produce and process specialty mm-hmm. coffees. And then I realized that just one farm could not change the region. So. I became a cupper and I saw that we had beautiful coffees in that zones, but nobody was making the connection of the farmers, of the specialty coffees and the market. So sharing the experience I had as a farmer with other farmers, we had the opportunity of founding Capricorn Coffees in 2015. And since then we are giving the other farmers the opportunity uh, to share these beautiful coffees of these unknown zones uh, overseas. Cool. Now, you're, according to the presentation yesterday, you were not a farmer before and that's your first farm that you bought was california state and uh, that was the first that was in 2004 yes you bought it uh so i am an agronomist um i made a uh, university degree i'm gonna interject here what's agronomy louise 
Hey. What, what is an agronomist? Yes. Yeah. Please explain, Mookie. Let's <laughs> <laughs> put it back to you. Right. To put it quite simply, an, agronomi- an agronomist is an ag- agronomical... Oh, my God, I just... <laughs> agricultural engineer oh, cool. and i would compare it to what a general practitioner is to medicine and an agronomist is to agriculture nice. cool so they cover all bases so wow. luis, luis so, so basically if you have a problem you call a doctor if you want to prevent the problem you mm. ask the agronomist yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I, I grew up in a cattle farm so since i was seven years old mm-hmm. my childhood was cattle farm and I then I went to university to study and I made my specialization on recovering systems that had low productivity. So I really specialized on recovering the fertility of the soil mm-hmm. uh, and holistic view on how to produce things in a sustainable way. And then in 2004, I had this chance of heritaging this farm that had more than 100 years of coffee farming. Wow. But at that time, they had lots of issues on good practices. Mm-hmm. Um, Big issues on quality, on processing, because this zone, it's Paraná, is south of Sao Paulo, it's south of Paraná, the south of Brazil, uh, and it's wet and cold, despite the beautiful high fertility soil they mm-hmm. have. And so they were struggling on making uh, quality for coffee. So my job basically was understand the zone, see the good characteristics, and make a lemonade with the lemons. Yeah. Nice. Was that passed on to you or did you, how, how did it work? How, why, why did you decide to, to start working on that land and yeah. so, purchase it? If that's yeah, I had the, this chance with my godfather called mm-hmm. Dr. Paulo. Mm-hmm. So we bought the farm in 2004 and unfortunately after six months, uh, he passed away. We, okay. we suffered a, an, an accident uh, with an airplane. Oh, uh, and since then, um, I kept the original project that was taking California. There was a beautiful stage full of history. Mm-hmm. Take that to the to the new century, to the globalized world with um, high practices in terms of sustainability and quality. Uh, yeah, and that's the job the last 15 years. Wow! And was it was it the like how many farms were around the area, or was it the only farm in that? Yeah. Nowadays, the state of Paraná, this is a nice history. So the state of Paraná uh, nowadays produces around 1.2 million coffee bags per year. But wow. because of the high fertility of the soil, before the big frost of 1975, Paraná state in Brazil was the biggest coffee producer in the world. Wow. So what Minas Gerais state produces nowadays with all the technologies we have, that is around 22 million coffee bags per year, the Paraná state used it to produce in 1975 with absolutely no technology because of the high fertility of the soil uh, and the good amount of rains that we received during the year. So after the frost of 75, uh, most of the coffee farmers from Paraná region, they migrated to the Cerrado region. That's when the Cerrado started in Brazil. Uh, and Paraná uh-huh. decreased the productivity a lot in the production. Uh, but still nowadays, if you uh, compare with other uh, origins from Central America, for example, if we think about 1.2 million coffee bags, is a lot. Yeah. Uh, and we also source coffees from Sao Paulo. So Sao Paulo is another state uh, surrounding Paraná. These both uh, states are surrounding the Tropic of Capricornio. That's where the name of Capricornio coffees came, came comes from. Uh, we have another 5 million coffee bags. So we are sourcing the best coffees in uh, a world of 6.2 million coffee bags per year. 
And how, how old were you when you came across the land, when you started, when this whole event happened? 24. 24 years 24. old. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You took the risk. Yeah. What, what, still taking. What inspired yeah. <laughs> you? What was, what was this inspiration to tell you? You know what? I've got a 700 meters high above sea level farm and I could make it a cup of excellent. Yeah. What was the, the drive? Yeah. yeah. In fact, I received a challenge, a gift and an opportunity of my godfather that unfortunately could not see the result of the, the work, but I'm, I'm sure uh, whatever he is, is really proud. But the fact I'm was sure, the yeah. farm was sold because it could not produce quality. Mm. So they, they blame it, the region, the, the farm, and nobody could believe it. So I received a lot of no's, uh, a lot of jokes. Um, and because of that, I just started looking for knowledge. And the problem is when you are in a new zone, an unknown zone, uh, you don't have so many people to teach you, mm. so you need to to, to search for the, the the research or the knowledge, take yep. the risk, and basically make it by yourself. Yeah. So the difference is like until now are 15 years of making things and and, and following my my godfather footsteps that said that we can also uh, make things better, uh, and that's what we are trying to do. And I think being an agronomist was a bonus. Yes. Uh, this is what really drew me to Louise is that because he doesn't have a, such a long background compared to many others in coffee, does he does bring new concepts, new ideas. He's so open-minded. Yeah, fresh perspective. He he's not attached to tradition. Yep. He's not attached to the way my grandfather used to do things. So he looks yep. at things from a fresh light. He questions things and why they're there. Yeah, definitely. And what... What trees? Well, was there any trees planted in the land when you got there, or what was the what was the situation like? Yes, when when we uh, we assumed the farm, we had almost one million coffee trees, but they had lots of problems in the root system. So the way they were planted, the the coffee trees were too old when they started planting, mm -hmm. because when you make a seedling for start planting coffee. Uh, you need to start planting with two to four pair of leaves, and they were planting too too old, so the root system starts to ennovelate. So when we bought the farm, to make life easy for the <laughs> listeners, they uh, it stays compacted; it won't grow out. Okay, right. so it doesn't generate. Yeah, it generate. Yeah. Yeah, that, so the yeah. coffee root system has a main uh, a main uh, root that's called pivotant that needs to go down. Mm -hmm. uh, and if it's too old, it starts to not going down, but starts to it wrap curls. around itself. Yes. Yeah. And overlate. Right. I, I don't know the yeah. word in English, but uh, when uh, you plant, the, the water and the nutrients cannot go up in the plant. Right. So it's when they kill it. Yes. So when the plants was supposed to start producing with four to five years, they start dying. Okay. Uh, and this is the scenario uh, I found. It's a, what was a, it's a big farm with lots of issues, a really high fertility in a zone that you have lots of rains. But the way the trees were planted and the way the coffee was uh, being processed uh, was not really well adapted for that region, thinking about quality, because mm -hmm. they had only natural coffees, uh, no wet meal. Mm -hmm. And because we have rains and it's really cold and wet during the winter. It's complicated. Uh, yes. So I started trying making quality since the first year. Yep. The first thing I made was buying a small popper. Uh, and guess what? Um, Popped coffees with wet and <laughs> cold 
uh, bad fermentation. Yep. So my first harvest, the best coffees I made were the green beans because the green beans, they were good cups with <laughs> green flavors and they didn't have <laughs> defects. Uh, and f- my first reaction was, okay, so what if we start just harvesting the green beans and at least we could make good cup coffee? Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can see from that today, through to today, uh, we made some some improvements. Did that's you <laughs> did you take the trees out or what did you do with the trees that weren't working? So you had to yes, I had to make this this plan because um, it was really really difficult in the beginning. So we started renewing the coffee trees with three years. So for three years. Uh, I harvest coffees with these root system problems, trying to make quality so we can think that it's not that easy. Yeah. Uh, so in 2006, I started renewing the coffee trees and we planted coffee 2006, 7 and 8. And then uh, we started making a small wet meal, we changed it, I started traveling to Central America, I saw some things, I started experimentation with processing, wow. uh, learning about how to ferment coffee, uh, the traditional fully washed coffees. Um, the old paradigm. The old paradigm. The old <laughs> map. The old map. Had, had you started a business by then, or were you just trying to get the farm to produce good coffee, or had you already started a business? You're already looking for for buyers to to buy your coffee. Like, was that already there, or was it more right now? You were just trying to uh, make sure that the trees were producing and that you had coffee that you yeah. could use. The, the traditional culture when you are at origin uh, principally in Brazil nowadays it changed a lot mm-hmm. you have lots of new generation coming to, to the business and basically business that used to belong to the farm so it's second third fourth generation but I was a first generation farmer coffee farmer uh, I had no idea of how to farm coffee so in the beginning basically was try to produce try to produce the much as possible uh, and try to find local partners where I could sell the coffee but mm. one of the first things that I made were, uh, was start learning how to cup. So since the first harvest, the first thing I used it to do in the beginning of my day was taking samples from the patio, take to the local partners and cup the coffees with them. Mm. And the first time I cupped a real flavor coffee, I said, I can't do this anymore. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's very different. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think we need to tell... The listener out there, how hard is it to replant? To just, just the thought of I have to change all the all the varietals. Which varietals I need to choose that works with the soil that we spoke about yesterday? The cost involved and the cost involved the and all that involved. and the time. I mm. think I think people need to know it's not just planting a tree. It's yeah. a lot more than this. Uh, so basically, you need to try understand the region. So for that, uh, I came to the research center called. Um, Campinas Agronomical Institute, the ESA, that where is where most of the Brazilian coffees were born, the genetic program, uh, to source which varieties I, I would plant. Uh, then coming back to the farm, I need to prepare the soil. So you need to take samples, you need to take to the lab, make the analysis, check all the nutrients, then you make to make all the correction in terms of the physical, the chemical correction of the soil. Then you need to evolve the soil uh, to break the compactation, then you need to plant something to make the root system, to make the structure of the soil. It means you take all the soil particles and you rearrange them in the way the root system of the cough system is going to, to develop well. Mm-hmm. So you made the chemical, the physical, and the biological side of the soil. Then you start making your own seedlings. Uh, I, I build a nursery. Then you take six to seven months instead until you, you make the, 
the plant, and then Without you take this plant this to that <laughs> soil, uh, and then you take this plant to that soil you prepared. Uh, the, you plant plant by plant; it's manual. Then you need to conduct these small little babies until three to four years until they start producing. But it's not only that; you take the risk of a drought. You take the risk of a frost. Mm. You take the risk of the wind, and then the plants cannot grow in the right way. Uh, so it's not just about the amount of effort you make, the yeah. investments you do, the knowledge you need to have, yeah. but it's about taking the risk. So many times when you talk with farmers and we see some easy solutions, oh, let's just cha change this variety to another one. It's not mm. easy. When you see a, a coffee field that's really well done, uh, the farmer needs to be really, really proud about that because uh, it's not only having the money and the knowledge, it's not sure that you're going to make it happen. Uh, yeah. You need a lot of conditions together in order to make it. In, no matter in, how yeah. well you think you've planned, one little trip can exactly. it's really complex. put everything back. It's I mean, really Muki, you lived there for a year, right? So you've spent a whole, more than a year, right? Two, in Brazil? Across two harvests. Two harvests, yeah. About 12 months. So you've, pretty much seen how harvests work and how much effort there is from pickers to machineries to to whatever is involved you want to tell us a little bit more about it in, in depth at Capricornia like how how hard is it and what was your experience yeah. yeah I think the stunning thing for me was no matter how much I thought I knew no matter how much I thought I knew about the experience like we we talk here about how difficult things are but we really don't grasp it at all yep. until until you're there i think being there for that extended period of time not just a trip um when you take an origin trip you have to remember people trying to show you the cream of the crop yeah. when you're there for a bit longer you start to see the, the full picture the full picture all the good things and the bad um the most amazing thing to me was the stress understanding really how difficult it is anytime there's a change in the weather people don't sleep mm, yeah, right. um, anytime there's a change in the market it, it has such an effect on people emotionally physically we're really out of touch no matter how connected we think we are to do, to it we are so out of touch to yeah. what it really is like yeah how is how is the culture like like did you find it you know very different thinking the way the way we are here in australia like Actually, we, we see things and we assume that everybody should do the same thing she's an easy girl just yes, she her. is yeah <laughs> that's me too Luis. don't worry feed me i'm happy brazilians and australians are similar in many ways okay so it was that's interesting pretty easy to, really? to work and i was i was so welcome there everyone's so hospitable but i think that that made it all hard all the harder because you'll you want to do the best for everyone too. Yeah. yeah. But where do you begin? Uh, for, for me, coming back, I just want to share as much as I can. Yeah. Uh, how how about the business um, dealings? Like you know, a lot of people talk about um, trace traceability and transparency and pricing and all that. And uh, would would you find that the culture in Brazil they kind of don't want to share how much this farmer sold his crop to? I to think that's across. Uh, coffee everywhere we're still stuck in a really traditional model where hiding knowledge gives you an advantage mm. um, we're probably opening up more on the consumer end and the roaster and the buyer end than at origin because you really do win such an advantage 
hiding some some information or maybe not being completely transparent, it's really, really difficult to break. Because if yeah. you ask a farmer to be more transparent or maybe a buyer on the origin level to be more transparent, you're giving an advantage to someone else, a potential advantage. Yeah. So even for them, they might not want to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We need to understand the boundaries. Yep. as well you know, the culture what what varietals did you plant uh, so in California my own farm yeah. we have Mundo Novo Yellow yep. Catuai and uh, Red Obatan and was that from the start after you did the soil analysis once you ripped those trees out the trees haven't changed yes the initial idea was having a bigger window to harvest the cherries so the Mundo okay. Novo has a, a smaller maturation period mm-hmm. than the Yellow Catuai and the Obatan has a longer maturation period. So cool. this was the initial idea. Um, then we had some surprises and then we changed it again. And I'm really proud that we are still learning a lot. Yeah. And and I think, you know, going back to the lecture yesterday, I should call it lecture actually. It was, uh, <laughs> was, it was a incredible. university degree. Yeah, it was incredible. Honestly, it was. It was really well. Um, so you've, you've, you've mentioned how important it is to understand the environment and the varietal is because of the long maturation because the environment is based on latitude than it is on um, altitude. Is this why you chose this specific varietal? Yeah, this, I got is, a long this is one first big paradigm that we tried to break all these years. So when I started, again, my best coffees were the green beans. <laughs> I was really happy because I had at least good cup coffees. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I could never imagine of making specialty coffees and then I took like five or six years to make my first 80 point plus coffee. And then in 2011, uh, uh, we had our first a Cup of Excellence title, probably the lowest farm in the world to have a, a Cup of yeah. Excellence title. So seven years uh, was it? 2011, you started 2004? Yes, yes, seven years. 32? Yes. Yeah, well. So uh, what happened and what we realized is that, in fact, the quality is not only direct correlated with the altitude. The Arabica coffee needs a range in temperature during the maturation. So it's much more uh, a correlation between altitude and latitude. So as much closer you are from the equator line, higher you need to be in Mm. order you decrease the temperature and then you have this range for the maturation. Okay. So as we are in the borderline, in the, the Capricorn, Capricorn Tropic, 23 degrees south, we don't need all that uh, conventional uh, altitude to have these lower temperatures because yeah. our maturation occurs in the autumn and in the winter where we have colder um, days and colder nights uh, and smaller days. Uh, so what we, we need to do in this case to, have the, to achieve the quality is giving these varieties the, the best condition. Uh, we need to decrease the stress as coffee is a non-climateric plant. Uh, so each variety will complete the maturation in its right time because yep. it's also wrong thinking, okay, Obatan has a longer maturation mm-hmm. period, so you're going to have more density or more complexity because that, if you give the Mundo Novo, the Elocatuai, no matter what variety is, the right condition to express its maximum potential it's gonna happen but then knowing a mundo novo for example has a shorter cycle it means whatever damage you have in the mundo novo it will be a bigger damage than if you make the damage in a variety that has a longer cycle because this damage in that shorter period would impact 
more. Yeah. It means you need to make the fertilization in a different timing. You need to take care of plagues and diseases in a different timing. Mm. Everything is faster. Yeah. Uh, and when you see farmers, they make as an average. So we treat our coffee trees, our plots, each plot completely different from the other one in terms of the necessities of the soil, nutrition, plagues, disease. So each plot is a plot. It's a unique area in the farm with its microclimate and respecting uh, the necessities of its, each one of the varieties. So when we started, again, I had no idea I could produce specialty coffees. Uh, we had two uh, Cup of Excellence International Awards with Yellow Katwai. We had some of our most complex coffees with our Obatans. Uh, and these last two years, I have been uh, making some nice job with Mundo Novo. Because the question in the end of the day is, had we made everything we could for the Mundo Novo, for the Yellow Katoai, for the Obata, instead of just thinking about changing the variety? Yep. And the answer is absolutely not. Yep. Yep. So when we see, when we talk with researchers, uh, we say, okay, Brazil has a, a really stretch genetic basis, basically from Bourbon and Mundo Novo. But again, if you have Mundo Novo, if you have Katoai winning Cup of Excellence, scoring more than 87 points, yep. uh, something is wrong. Because if you say, okay, you cannot produce quality complex cup because you don't have the right variety. But if you have coffees scoring 87, if you can put science together with art in order we understand why that coffee scored 87 and the other ones are good cups or defective cups, then we can really change the chain with what we already have there planted. Because we need to have this conscience of sustainability in terms of not putting all the risk just with the farmer. We need yeah, to, yeah. to share the risk in the chain. That's right. I mean, well, that's that's another point as well. You mentioned yesterday about how hard is it to uh, um, for us to choose which lot to buy first before we even exporting it and bring it to us and us roasting it and us selling it. I would, I, I really would love you to share the journey of uh, uh, you know selecting lots and and how hard it takes and how much you cup and all that. So if you, if you don't mind to repeat yep. that yep. from yesterday, yep. I think it was a great story. Um, so first, we need to understand that one coffee variety takes in a research center 25 to 35 years until it becomes commercial. So it's 25 to 35 years of investment and research to develop a new coffee variety. Then a coffee farmer, as I explained in the beginning, uh, will need at least one year to prepare the soil, to make the seedlings, and then three to five years, you start producing. Wow. But I am in the coffee business now for 15 years. Uh, I think I learned a lot, mm -hmm. but it's still the beginning. So mm -hmm. I would consider not only planting, but you, you need at least 15 to 20 years of achieving knowledge to consider your, your professional in what you are doing. Yeah. So after all that, you will take a full year to produce a coffee lot. Okay, so then you need to harvest, process, uh, dry, storage, uh, roast and cup to check the right quality. And if you are at origin as a farmer, you need to sell this coffee. If you are an exporter, you need to buy this coffee. So consider you are a farmer, you always want to sell the coffee as the biggest price possible. Not necessarily when the exporter needs to buy the coffee yep. and probably not necessarily when the roaster wants to buy the coffee. Yep. So you need to put everything in the same timing and it's a big challenge. Yep. But consider things were done mm -hmm. in the right timing 
So the farmer produce it, dry, then you need to dry meal the coffee, you need to sell the coffee, the exporter need to buy, take to the warehouse, then you separate all the screens, you're going to take all the defects, you're going to take the sample, and you're going to start sending sample to buyers from around the world. How many samples you my friend, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> In Capricornio, we cup 60 to 70 uh, samples every single day. Wow. And each yeah. lot that we purchase, we open in screens. So consider you buy one lot, you will cup screen 17, 16, 15, 14th Pewberry, and then you have also the, the defects. Yeah. Uh, and we cup 10, 10 cups, <gasps> each one of the screens every time. And every time you send a sample, the same thing. Okay, so then you close a deal, you found the right uh, buyer for that right lot. Mm -hmm. You need to make the contracts, you need to make the hedging, you need to book space in a vessel for shipping. Consider in Australia, you're going to take 45 to 60 days just with logistics. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to make all the, the documents. Uh, then you'll have the quarantine until the coffee arrives, and then the coffee arrives. And then you're going to sampling the warehouse, send the sample to the buyer. And then you need someone to be your partner to deliver the coffee for you in the right time. And everything, we need to measure the quality, the traceability, and the transparency along the whole chain. Yeah. So everything is about people, and that's why we call specialty relationships. We talk Capricornio about specialty relationships. Our idea is sharing knowledge through the whole chain in order we can have good partners because the farmer cannot take the risk of making quality by luck. He needs to understand what happens and he needs to be really consistent. Our our buyers from the other side, they, they need consistency. Mm -hmm. As soon as you open a door, as soon as you open, uh, you find the right buyer for the right quality, you need to keep growing and the quality needs to be assured. Mm -hmm. So how to do this? It's a big, big challenge and it's just about people and finding the right partners. I think your partner was <coughs> Condessa. And, uh, yeah. When did you guys come together? Yeah. Like Tell us that story. Yeah, so, I yeah. want to know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. It's a, it's, it's, a a flick. It's, a, it's a really funny story. In 2015, uh, when we started Capricornio. Maybe, maybe we should explain Condessa as well. Oh, yes. Um, no? Oh, Muki, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Muki's here. I think you, you can do I, I that. work for CRS. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we're uh, imported based in Sydney. We've been around since 2013, I think it was. 2012, 2013. Um, so we're, we're pretty fresh as well. But yeah. you've, you've, you've kind of... Uh, Ecom is pretty much the mother the mothership of the company, isn't it? You're part of... Yes. yes. So that's the parent company. Um, I think I think we're actually the largest specialty, like the, the largest specialty focus specialty coffee business, if you consider it globally. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about Ecom is just the sheer reach of what they have. Uh, they're involved in pretty much every company. Sorry, country, every country, <laughs> producing country, producing country. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of investment that goes into uh, their mills, their staff. Uh, we do a lot of good in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So nice. basically in 2015, when we started Capricornio, Muki was in Brazil as an international judge mm -hmm. in Cup of Excellence. And we had from our region, from Paraná, three international winners. One from my farm, California, 
and two from one beautiful project that we are partnered at the Women in Coffee project from the Matão community. Yep. Uh, so <laughs> I accidentally met her in the in the final ceremony, award ceremony, and I invited her to come visit us. Oh, cool. Uh, she came and we made a huge table for her. She, she, she visited my farm. She visited the, the group of the winners. Uh, and we cupped around 14 coffees, beautiful, Get completely it to work, different huh? coffees. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I explained her, uh, I need to, to make a parenthesis, she's uh, an amazing cupper, mm. an amazing roaster. Uh, so I talked to her about the, the, the paradigm, about the, the latitude and the altitude and how we need to roast differently these coffees because for us the quality comes from the latitude and the thermic mm -hmm. amplitude and the maturation, but our density is lower in the beans because we are lower in terms yeah, of true. altitude. Uh, she immediately understood. I shared with her how we were roasting these coffees and I'm absolutely honored and proud because for the first time, I found someone speaking the same language as, as I was speaking. Yeah. So we had been seeing this quality plantation in the region for five to six years, me and my, my other partner, Jose Antonio Bispo. And for the first time, someone made the same descriptions, the same scores that yeah, we right. had been seeing at that coffee. So Calibrated. she she brought the samples. Okay. She took back to Australia. Uh, explain, please. Yeah, just made a <laughs> way to put me on the spot. I love to put her in the spotlight. <laughs> yeah, it's this like, happens yeah, a lot. It's your turn now. Um, yeah, and I just went from there. I what was amazing about that experience? It was just whirlwind. It was uh, Brazil is really the first origin that I've truly experienced. Amazing. And I went into that thinking that Brazil didn't produce specialty coffee, even going to Cup of Excellence. Before I went... Uh, I know, it's like I, Brazil is your grandmother's coffee. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but it just blew me away. Yeah. What what kind of quality that you have there that we just don't seem to see over here. Because um, we have the perception that sometimes when you get too big, you lose quality. But, I mean, looking, looking at what Luis was saying, there was so much investment in quality management and quality control. It absolutely makes sense that there will be specialty there. Yeah. Big doesn't necessarily mean bad yeah. in this case in particular. Um, it just meeting him at Cup of Excellence, went on this whirlwind adventure of, I think I was in the car for more than 10 hours to go from where I was in Minas Gerais down to Paraná. Wow. So driving all across Sao Paulo State. Wow. <laughs> all by yourself? Uh, oh, with, the, it was a, oh, with everybody. Yeah, okay, there was a friend okay. with me, but yeah, it took, it was, it was fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And tasting those coffees, even after Cup of Excellence. So imagine cupping the best coffees presented in Cup of Excellence yep. and still cupping the coffees on these tables. And it was just amazing. They were amazing. Wow. They were different. Yes. And I saw real potential in what what was in those coffees. I knew people would love, love here. It, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, so, I think we're blessed. So, so, so Mookie comes down. We're blessed to have <laughs> Mookie in the house. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, she brought the coffees back to Australia and made a, a blind cupping. And what was great from that is that she applied first the regular Brazilian protocols for roasting, for sample roasting. And then she used these some tips okay. from the conversations we had. Again, she's an amazing uh, roaster. Uh, and then in the cupping, the coffee is shining the table. Wow. And this is a discussion until now we have with several roasters because it's really difficult to say, it's not that you are not doing good mm. or doing wrong, mm. but it's that we can do in a different way 
that we can be more fair to the coffee. Yep. It's it's a we, tough we, discussion. It's yep. a really tough yep. discussion. Often have this discussion where, if you look at it this way, look at the amount of time it takes to produce a good coffee at origin, and then someone stuffs it up yep. in less than ten minutes, and that's all the opportunity you have to to, to show this four coffee. Years of a lot work. of people will only give you one opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, and wow. think about that. Yeah, let's just yeah, come one back. Cupping, they'll they'll look over everything and yeah. they'll just pick one or two coffees. Let's just come back. Thirty yeah. years of research, five years to start producing. The whole year to make a lot. One year to arrive. I'll be eighty by then. And then you can't have <laughs> half hour to yeah. to sample rows in the the best way. It's crazy to give the coffee a chance to shine in the table. It's crazy. And the fault yeah. always comes down to the farmer. It's the farmer. Yeah, I know. This is this is one big challenge because as as we were discussing, we yeah. we, we have a lack of transparency and, and feedback in the chain. It's really difficult that the farmer cups his own coffees. Uh, sometimes, most part of the times, the roaster doesn't know the farm. Mm-hmm. There is no direct channel to talk with, and we lose information. We lose the feedback along the chain. So, what's what are the the practices in place to help that um, challenge kind of? overcome this challenge yeah. what what Capricornia do that others don't one of the different things we have is this this full traceability system where all the coffees no matter the size of the lot they are full traceable to the farm level in the warehouse so no matter if you are buying 30 kilos of coffee or 30 containers you know exactly what coffees are there Another Doesn't matter thing, about the quality, sorry to interrupt. Yes, one of the things that we were talking, uh, I want to get back to this point. Yeah. We think that bigger, worse. If you make an average, probably yes. So one of the big secrets is splitting all the qualities and not mixturing. Because in coffee, you know that the low quality always will damage the good coffee, the good quality. Never the good quality will make the bad quality better. Yeah. So one of the things is split all the quality, make it separate and have the full traceability. Another thing we have, we roast all the coffees in a different way, and we can share these roasting profiles. One of the big uh, works that MOOC made with us at Origin uh, was calibrating our team, because we have two teams in, in Capricornio, uh, one that makes the sourcing for buying, another team that will work on the sales, uh, and we need to be calibrated. So yeah. she calibrated our buyers and our sales team, our quality team, uh, to roast and to evaluate coffees in the same way they do here in Australia. So mm. imagine that you have a state-of-the-art quality control lab at yeah. origin, what is really <clears throat> difficult. Uh, and I have this privilege because I'm also a farmer. So I'm part of the team. So, so I, I brought the same thing to my farm. Uh, yeah. And that's what's made the huge difference of having Muki there. We cupped all the weekends this wow. whole year she was there. Uh, wow. All the experimentations we made, we had really fast feedback, really fast results. Wow. And that allowed us to change the things we were doing uh, with a buyer. Yeah. With a buyer with a huge uh, amount of knowledge. Uh, yeah. And that made all the difference. I, I think, think knowing the market as well. Like she, knows, yes. she knows what people, people are yes. looking for. Yes. And I think yeah. that was the missing yeah. element sometimes. Because one of one of the big discussions we have is first, what is quality? And it's really it's really easy when you find an eighty-seven point or an eighty-five. But what we have in Capricorn, and I think this is the difference, no matter which quality level is, you can find a buyer to that because you have a family behind this coffee. So you need to be fair. 
So one of our big fights is if you have a lab, if you have a good roster, and if you have the ability of evaluating quality, be, please be fair with this coffee. So make the best roast you can, the best cupping you can, and then you can pay the best price as possible yeah. to this farmer. So this is a this is a big big difference. Yeah. Uh, and then if you the quality is there, we need to find a place. So it's not my personal preference. Maybe I don't like this specific profile. Yeah. Maybe it's not for the Australian market. But if the farmer made a good job, if it's an 86, 87, 88 point coffee, we need to find a place for that coffee. Yeah. We cannot just deny or, or say, oh, the quality is not here. I don't like this coffee, so I'm not going to buy. It's yeah. not fair yeah. with the farmer and it's not fair with the chain. Yeah. So having Mookie there was amazing because he said, this client can like this. This can be Asian market, Australian market, US market. And that makes the whole difference because it's a level of understanding yeah. of real quality. That Instead of have. sending the coffee to the wrong that is uh, market, yeah. really. So you I made it more <laughs> you you, to the other one. All you yeah. did was just represent the coffee differently. The coffee was what it was. You know, you picked up on that. And all you did the right was time. just adjust it slightly, represent it differently so that people's perceptions could be met. And that's it, because it's crazy. Because here at CRS, we have so many different roasters. We have so many different people coming in, cupping, sharing their coffee. And even within the Australian market, there is so many people that like different cupping profiles. So you'll give a certain cupping profile to someone and they don't like to cup like that. They like to cup something different, you know? And it's it's insane the amount of different styles of coffees that we cup. And every every time there's someone on, they don't like the cupping profile because yeah. there's just there's so much there's so much contradiction on 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 what the standard is if there yeah. is any standard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's 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 incredible, Mookie. That's 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 really amazing. Good job, Mookie. Yeah. So for me, sample roasting, just taking it to that. Yeah. No one treats it with enough respect, time, or seriousness. You, did, you know, you know what happened. I think, I think we applied for the same job at Condesa at the same really? time, but then <laughs> you, you took it and I didn't. <laughs> That's probably, probably if Sorry. I took it, I'll be with you there. <laughs> I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> Thank you, Noah Kualai, for being there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, man. I helped somehow. Thank you. <laughs> My interview was horrible. Thanks, man. <laughs> Point of comparison. I think so. I don't know. <laughs> Probably told them I want to do a lot of things. That's so funny. <laughs> and this is this is a funny uh, experience, uh, and I think it's nice to share. I had the the opportunity of being in the first uh, cup of excellence natural competition we had in Brazil, uh, and I was part of the international judge representing Brazil. And it was really funny because nobody used to do naturals competition, and every time in Brazil, naturals and pop naturals used to compete together. So because of this score sheet of the Cup of Excellence, the naturals would never go to the finals because of the, the cleanest. The cleanest, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. So for the first time, Brazil decided with a beautiful initiative from BSCA and from Silvio Leite uh, and AC took the idea. Mm -hmm. uh, they split the competition. So I was there. The first COE, everybody was really afraid. And we had made the national jury, all the separation. And then we had the first day with the international jury. And man, the coffees that we had scored 86, 87, they were scoring 78, 79. Really? Because wow. they say it's fermented. Yeah. Uh, it's it's too fun. fruity. Yeah. It's funky. So in the end of the first day, the brilliant Silvio Leite that I really respect uh, brought Dr. Mm -hmm. Flavio Borain up great specialist in quality from Brazil, one of the best researchers we have in post-harvest. And he brought his experimentations 
where they selected, picked the cherries, and they dried uh, in an oven with with uh, air, so you could never have fermentation because it had l- high levels of oxygen and the temperature. You had a continuous drying system, and he showed all the cuppers, all the buyers, the difference of the acetic acid fermentation uh, and the fruitness in the cup, saying that when you have the fermentation, the vinegar, you have the false perception of sweetness when it's warm, but when it's uh, colder, you lose the sweetness and then you have the, the sour acidity that's that's not good. So from the second day on, everybody... <laughs> Didn't thought anymore it was fermented. Mm. Everything was fruity. Really? And look what happened. So this is what I say about if the quality is there, because this was our fight. Mm-hmm. You have big flavor, big body. Yeah. Okay, can be whiny, can be fruity, can yeah. be round, but the quality is there. So if you don't like, okay, you don't buy. But you cannot say it's not good because you don't like. If you yeah. are a professional cupper, you yeah. need to identify the I'm quality. Biased. And then you need to pay the farmer because of the work. Yes. And, and I see that this, this chain is really beautiful, the specialty, because we are changing so fast and everything is about flavor. So nowadays it's about finding the right buyer to the, to the right profile, the specific profile. And I also think it's really important not to be so selective in the type of flavors we have. The more flavors we have, the more expression of the coffee we have, the better it is for everyone. And, and, and like you said before, there's a market for every coffee. Yep. So even if you don't produce a coffee that that's high standard or there's certain flavors that you may not necessarily like, somebody else will absolutely love those flavors. Yep. I think sometimes when people say, no, this is the only right way to do things, coffee has to be this way, it has to be processed this way, this, it just limits creativity. And there's, there's so much, I think we can all agree that there's so much expression that coffee has, there's... The, the limits that it has is we haven't even touched on just yeah. yet. When you see the complexity of it, I wouldn't, yeah, I, w- I want to see more of what you're well, doing. What's, and what's adding, adding to what you're saying is that, you know, and I mean, Lu- Luis, right now you're talking a lot about quality, you know, and, and uh, consistency, right? And, and the first time I've listened to... So just cutting everything off for a second. Unfortunately, I forgot to erase the memory card. So... <laughs> Fortunately for us, Noah was aware and he realized that the recorder stopped recording. So we missed about a minute of the interview, uh, but we went straight back into it. So here we go. Okay, so um, just to add to you, Amadeo, it's um, uh, Luis was talking a lot about consistency and how we produce one harvest this year, how we can repeat it next year. And we've started to taking some practices from other industry like the yeast fermentation and uh, maceration and all the wine uh, techniques and, and adding it to the coffee. Would you mind to tell us a little bit more about it and how you do it at the farm? Yeah, so, so basically when we when you think about uh, specialty coffee or coffee as a whole, um, we see that there is a huge inconsistency in terms of uh, the profile you produce one year is not necessarily the same one you have in the, in the other year. Uh, there is this misunderstanding in terms of chain that, for mm. example, you have the consistency of you buy every time the same farm, so you pretend you have the same coffee. But what we are seeing more and more, that's first. You need to make everything in order your raw material is the same. Yeah. Uh, and in this aspect, it's not just harvesting the ripe cherry, because as we discussed it, uh, before, uh, Arabica coffee is a non-climateric plant. 
So you need to decrease the stress in order you have the right ripening. Yeah. So give the, the, the variety the best condition to express the best potential in the cherry. Second, you need to have the best practices in terms of harvesting. And then processing. So every time we think about consistency or we think about profiling, cupping profile, uh, our, our mental map always brings us just to the ripe cherry and the processing. Yeah. But we need to see all the other things. But what we are seeing more and more about processing, and I'm really uh, lucky because we started an agreement last year, uh, making part of the Ida Better Selection program. So Aida brought lots of her concepts and techniques from El Salvador, and we started applying in Brazil. And we also uh, hired Lucia Solis as a partner, that it's a, it's a brilliant uh, girl that comes from the wine industry. Uh, and we started applying these wine concepts for processing. So basically, we are checking almost everything, uh, temperature, bricks, uh, pH drop, um, all the sanitary conditions to avoid spoilaging. That's amazing. Um, and we are applying some microbes that we know uh, which microbes are. And we are checking how these microbes are developing. So the big misunderstanding that we have when we talk about processing is thinking that uh, and a specific number of hours that can be 48, 72, uh, you are going to have the same results mm. because you need to I'm going to get interject a step something back. Just so people can understand yep. a little bit better. Thanks, so to, to baristas and to, to roasters, imagine that you are only using one recipe for everything that you do. So regardless of what machine, what grinder, you're only using, I don't know, 20 grams in, 50 out. You're applying that to everywhere you go, everything you do. We as baristas, as coffee people, understand that that's not going to work. So why would it work in processing coffee? We have this fixed idea that 48 hours, 32 hours. Yeah, it's like the 26-second rule for extracting. 26 seconds is the best. And and that was was going around for for a while and we all know that. It just depends. There's so many, especially when in farming, there's so many different variables that are changing. Not everything's consistent. Thus, you need something to adjust to those changes. It makes sense. 100%. If we've moved yeah. in brewing coffee, in roasting coffee, why can't we move in processing coffee? So yeah. here we are. And then we have this misunderstanding. Then you think, what what works in Kenya not necessarily works in Costa Rica, El Salvador, or Brazil. And let's go deeper. What works this year in Brazil, not mm. necessarily is going to work next year in Brazil. But we pretend as human beings that 48 hours, 72 hours uh, is a good measurement. But we need to think in the microbe, in the microbiolog- microbiological uh, universe. So a slightly change in temperature will increase or decrease the ratio that they grow and the way they use the substrate. Uh, change in terms of nutrients, bricks, pH will dramatically change the way these microbes are going to develop or not. Yeah. So and you need these microbes. Obviously. Imagine that you are harvesting and start processing coffee at 2 p.m. The temperature is probably warmer. So the, the, the growth of the microbes is going to be really fast. But if you are start processing these coffees at 8, 9 p.m., the temperature is colder. So the time of the reaction is completely different. So applying the same timing to measure both reactions doesn't make sense. And more than that, um, the new concepts 
of fermentation shows us nowadays that you have three different stages in terms of fermentation. The first step would make the mucilage, if we are thinking about washed coffees, uh, make the mucilage, that is this thick layer uh, full of pectin that's hydrophilic, you need to make this soluble in water. Because if you don't take the mucilage, if you don't remove the mucilage, sometimes you use these honey coffees. Depends where you are. If you have a cold and wet environment, it's really difficult to dry the coffee because the mucilage will storage water and you have the huge risk of having fermentations that not necessarily you want. So the first stage is making this mucilage soluble in water. The second stage is the microbes that you have in your environment, in your fermentation tank, for example. Uh, they are going to use the mucilage plus the water and the substract uh, to grow. They are going to synthesize some uh, esters and aldehydes that are the real precursors for flavors and aroma. Mm -hmm. And the third step that we are going to have is what we call the maceration. It's the time that the seeds need to be in contact with this environment in order to observe these this precursors. So imagine if you are just using time and pretending that time, depending where you started the reaction, is not giving you the right measurement for the reaction. Uh, this yeah. explains yeah. why the results when cupping lots from the same farm, from the same harvest, they are totally different. Yeah. Because you are stopping the fermentation or the reaction in completely different stage. Some yeah. of them, you just remove the mucilage. Yeah. Some of them, you create something and you start to observe. Some of them, you really made the best point in terms of quality and complexity. And some of them, it was so long that you start losing things to the environment. Yeah. Uh, so we need to look really deeper to have better understanding of what exactly we are doing. And not only this, we need to ask if our raw material is the same. How is the cherry? Did the plant suffer any stress this year? Mm -hmm. A drought? Uh, higher sun insulation? Uh, how was the nutrition? How, how were the plagues and diseases attacked? Because if everything you change, you will impact uh, the cherry. It's not about a red cherry, but everything that happened before this red cherry and everything you do after this. I like to compare it to this. How many times has someone bought a red apple, like a, a beautiful looking apple, <laughs> bitten into it and being utterly disappointed? Me. That was uh, even even a yellow banana. Yeah. But, yellow right? banana. <laughs> but inside, it's not ripened at all. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the still, same yeah. in coffee. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, even if it presents right, looks right, looks delicious, it doesn't necessarily Not mean that sure. internally it's right. I just want to touch on something before I forget, a little off topic, but when you mentioned before in your conversation was that it's crazy that we expect consistency, the coffee to taste exactly the same year after year when the conditions are different. And when you look at other industries and when you're looking at craftsmanship and, 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 and things that are sort of in the, in the highest level of quality, for example, maybe even wine, they actually look forward to the changes in the wine. You look forward to the changes in the vintage. You look forward to the different expressions, the different types of environments, the different temperatures and how the wine expressed itself. It's something beautiful because if we're looking for transparency, we're looking for, um, you know, the more transparent something is, the more you can taste the soil, the process, everything comes together. It's just got a story to tell. You drink something and it's telling you a beautiful story. That includes the changes in environment and the changes that there was in that year. So it's, it's just that you touched on that. It just hit me and it's a little bit crazy, right? Like we want something to be specialty and craftsmanship and et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, we want it to be consistent and nothing that's natural is consistent. Any organic fruit, anything that just grows naturally, there's no two apples that are exactly the same. Everything is different. So it's, 
It's interesting you said that. It's really it's not, interesting. It's not only this point. It's a really good point. And there is another point we need to touch. Uh, we need to be. We want to be consistent. But then, when you come back to the farm level, <laughs> consistency, it's crazy. But because you talk about wine, you are mixturing all your raw material, and then you are considering all your raw material as a substrate to make a fermentation with specific microbes in mm -hmm. specific conditions, and then you have a result. But when you, when you think about coffee, each lot is separated, each variety is separated. You are not necessarily blending in the in the farm level. Yeah. Uh, and then again, we need to consider the levels of quality. So one thing is pretending you are making a 90-point coffee that's absolutely difficult. Another thing is an 87 that is also difficult, an 85, an 83, an 82, and then a defective cup. So we need to think which level of consistency we want uh, in order to give the farmer the best profitability hmm. because just trying to make the 90 points means a risk. And then this risk because, okay, let's try, let's experiment with, with processing. So you, have, you need to understand that experiment with processing means that you are creating conditions for having fermentation. Hmm. And if you don't stop the reaction in the right point, you maybe have offy flavors or maybe have some profiles that are not necessarily exactly what you want yeah. and then let's experiment with uh with processing and then you have a defective cup coffee the farmer yeah. is going to pay the bill so you need to take really care one first thing is making clean balanced coffee with no defects that generally they pay the bill then we start building our quality uh, protocols but what i see more and more and this is what is beautiful is that managing processing at farm gives the farmers for the first time a powerful tool to offer buyers a different portfolio from the same state. Yeah. Because farmers need to make money and they need to survive. Yeah. And buyers from the other side, they always want exclusivity. They always want different products. Uh, and imagine if you have one farm, one, one product, and everybody wants... Uh, one specific buyer wants exclusivity of that product, but can, he cannot buy everything. So how this farmer is going to survive? Mm -hmm. So having this bigger range of products first gives the whole chain an opportunity of showcase beautiful things. But again, knowledge is the solution. We need to share knowledge in the farm level, high knowledge, not medium level knowledge because it cannot explain everything so just seeing something that worked in one specific farm variety environment and trying to copy and paste uh is not the solution so we need we really need to bring science to the farm level and to the relationship level feedback in the chain as a whole yeah I amazing agree. yeah i mean uh, just to give context, I know we mentioned it a few times, but Luis came to CRS last night and he gave a little presentation on his views on producing coffee. He went um, very scientific. He showed the chemistry behind it and he pretty much grabbed something that's super complex and simplified it to the most understandable ideas. And I thought, I find that when, when I meet someone who understands their subjects, they can always answer questions simply. They, they, they understand enough about a topic that they can break it down into the simplest terms. And you definitely achieved that yesterday. So so thank you. And I think, look, even if we can share some of the stuff that you taught yesterday, maybe we can put up on a, on a website or maybe on a blog or something so people can see the sort of work that you're doing and the things that are happening. I think I think that would be amazing. I mean, having a pioneer here, it's, yeah. uh, it's great. It yeah. feels really good. 
Definitely. Thank you for sharing all the knowledge. It was amazing. Thank you very much, Mark. My pleasure. Thank for the opportunity. It's a, it's a great pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Thank man. you. I enjoyed it a lot. I want to say one more thing, mm-hmm. though, and I want to ask you. Uh, what is the proudest thing so far in, you, in your whole journey since you turned 24? Because I'm just imagining you. You know, I'm 25. I'm one year older than you. So you're 24. Crap. I've got this farm. The trees are rotten. Um, I need to figure this out. And your whole journey. I know last year you told us a bit more about the journey. So I'm a bit more aware of what's happened during your, 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 your lifetime. But during the whole process of farming, trying to sell the coffee, cup of excellence, everything, what are you the most proud of so far? My family. The family that supported me. I had some <clears throat> really difficult times with farming, with climate, with market. I had a fire where I lost almost 60% of my biggest crop. Uh, and my family was uh, always there. So I really believe um, I have so much to do for the chain, so much to share. But if we don't have a, a bigger thing in life, I think life is too short uh, to just concentrate in things that they really don't make difference. So I think preparing things, uh, make a legate, uh, heritage. Yeah. Yeah. Legacy. legacy, legacy. Yes. So make a legacy, uh, because I think life is about being able to, to give your best to change people's life. Um, so the, the thing I most proud of is my family. Well, thank you. I think we'll finish up on that note. So yeah. thank you, thank you guys for coming down. Thanks, yeah, thank you. Thanks for having you us. You did a great job as well. You know. Cheers. Yeah, <laughs> and really hopefully, putting it together. Hopefully, we can do this again. So yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And, and she's a, she's an amazing cooker. Next time, we really? can make an yeah. episode. She's never told us. Yeah, we should have she's, 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 like, she's a master. I'm chained. Cook, man. I'm chained. She's a master. You can yeah. show me. Show us a few things. Yeah, please. Don't be shy. Now we've got this relationship going. You know. Apparently, took my job. I took you. No, as Noah told me, he makes some amazing hummus. No, so no, no. you told me. I just buy it from Woolies. Until I got Obella's from Woolies, and he was like, crap, this is better than mine. I was like, man, yeah. she, just to give an idea, she made a sourdough bread with coffee fermentation yeast. Wow. Yay. This is another level. That is another level. <laughs> yes. You made you made the sourdough bread out of the, yeah. this, out of this the was water, a, this was an which the coffee fermented experiment. in. How did it taste? Really good, but we had we had three different starters. Um, this was just we we listened to a lot of podcasts <laughs> as well. Like the drives in Brazil are ridiculously long, so to another farm or to a mill just or something. Just chucking like the earphones, three three hours, hours, five hours, one wow. way. Perfect, so, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we listened to stuff like this. Amazing. Yeah. We listened to one on uh, sourdough bread and argued a lot about microbes. Um, decided to try one out I've L- made let me interrupt you a little so we had different <laughs> points of view of that yeah i bet i, I hate it <laughs> and she loved it because i say where is the consistent da, da, da. and then biofasana both said why not trying to do with the coffee yeast to say okay let's do it mm, wow <laughs> so we got we had a control yeast which was well control starter which was just uh flour and and water uh one was a mixture of uh both flour sorry uh, the original flour and water starter and some coffee fermentation yeast. So it had some microbes from the control starter and the, and the new one. And the last one was uh, one that was started with flour and water from our special fermentation lot, 
the oil smelled completely different. So afterwards, I stopped feeding it fermentation water. Everything mm. was just flour and water. Wow. So it was just fed fed the initial microbial population. The the control stank. <laughs> it, it was so savory, wow. and bacony, and weird. And no matter how much work I put into it, it never it wow. never got as interesting as as the other two. Um, the one with both smelled like white grapes. Really? Yeah. Yes. And the last wow. one, last one was just this amazing fruity complex that bread. Is incredible. Made great bread. That's incredible. It's really, really That's interesting. Insane. And guess what? It just took us three months to make the bread. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. And 45 <laughs> years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see, seven <laughs> years later, you have your own bakery. Went to have five years for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is how we started. Well, um, I think we'll wrap it up with a big thank you. Uh, Amadeo, thank you. Muki, thank you, Luis, for being with us. Thank you, Noah. Uh, my pleasure. And hopefully we'll see you next time you're in Australia. We'll talk about a new topic. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Maybe six right. months. Thank you, my cool. friend. Talk to you. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys.